All right, nothing says fun like a show that puts the loosely and loosely based on true events. We're back at the Insatiable Content Podcast, and I'm your host, Vincent Rossmeyer. I'm really excited for today's show because we're talking about Winning Time, the HBO show on the 1979-1980 Showtime Lakers that just ended its 10-episode first season run. And this show does just beg to be talked about. So fortunately, joining me today is my favorite person to talk about anything even loosely involving the NBA, my friend and returning guest, Jody Mwendo. Jody, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I think this is a record. I think I'm your most guest hosted uh, person on, on the podcast. Oh, it's not even close. Yes, absolutely. You are you are the Jordan of the Insatiable Content podcast, just with the number of titles you've, you've won here. I'll, I'll be waiting on my trophy in the mail. Yeah, um, that that might take a a, a bit, but uh, appreciate that. Now, now, Jody, before we get into the what I think is one of the most unique shows I've seen in a very long time, I have a new segment on the show called Favorite or Garbage. Thanks to my friend Colin, who suggested uh, that be the title of the entire podcast, but I just figured just make it a segment. But basically, you get to critique one of my takes. Now, I'm assuming you're going to tell me that all my thoughts about trading Zion are trash, but the floor is yours. So tell me, what am I wrong about? Well, yeah, your your thoughts about trading Zion are criminal. <laughs> like any GM that would consider trading Zion right now should immediately be fired. But besides that, I'm going to side with Kate. Say you mixing seven cereals together? Questionable. Well, Questionable. She's going to really appreciate that um, because <laughs> she gives me a lot of feedback on that. But if I could just return to the Zion thing, I just wanted to say I prefer the guys on my team, if I was a GM, to actually play basketball rather than to, you know, just post things on Instagram. But call me old fashioned. That's just me. We're on the Joel and B plan. So <laughs> take take, a, take two years off and then come back as an MVP candidate. How's that working out for the Don't Sixers? Work. I mean, Joel is an MVP candidate. Huh. You know, the Sixers, uh, you know, uh, he try se- again next year. He seems to wilt a lot in the playoffs for a reason that I think Zion might too, which is he's never in shape. Interesting how that works. Well, I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that has to do with Doc Rivers. Oh, yes. And I don't want to sidetrack this into a basketball conversation. We're talking about, well, I guess we're talking about basketball. We're going to talk about basketball, basketball, yeah. So, yeah, let's let's do it. (laughs) Well, I I will agree with you. Doc Rivers has to be one of the worst coaches in the NBA. He's so So overrated. So overrated. A top 15 coach of all time. Like, that makes no sense to me. He is so, he makes no adjustments. Like, last night, the Heat were essentially running, like, a pack line defense where they just packed everything in a paint and and let a few, you know, let Joel Embiid catch the ball out, you know, 15 feet out and and shoot his jumpers. And and they made no adjustments to that. None. It, It just didn't make any sense to me. He's a terrible coach. I, I would agree. And as someone very familiar with the pack line defense, given that I'm a UVA right, fan, <laughs> like I, I it just shouldn't be something that can work in the NBA. It just shouldn't. Right. Right. And yet it did last night and, and it has been for most of the series. And as someone who is completely fueled by spite in most things I do, I just love the way Jimmy Butler just will not let it go that they chose so many other players, including Tobias Harris over him and let him go. And and even he said that afterwards. And then Joel again, throwing a teammate under the bus. And granted, like I actually side with Joel on this, that like Harden and Ben Simmons both 
like fucking suck uh, when it comes to like real pressure moments. But also like the dynamics of that team are just just not good. It's almost like if you create a culture based on losing, it's very hard to turn that around and be winning no matter how long ago the uh, right. trusting of the process occurred. Right. And you and you said Joel Embiid gets, you know, exhausted and, you know, not in shape. But I don't know if it's so much that he's not in shape, but he literally has to carry the whole True. offensive load. Like he can't rely on anyone else to score points in that offense. No. Harden, who, who they brought in to be a scorer is not. Tobias Harris does not score. Like there's no one else that he can rely on, that the team can rely on to reliably get them 20 points, 15 no. points, you it's- know. He has to. He has to do everything. The ultimate irony is they got rid of Ben Simmons for not shooting and replaced him with James Harden, who somehow came to Philadelphia and decided he don't, no longer wants to shoot. I mean, like he. I think he took nine shots last night, and uh, you know, like <laughs> they brought him in to be shooting thirty times a game. I. I don't understand what it is, but. But in his defense, at least he took a shot. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay, since we already started going on the basketball conversation, let's move on to the show. Um, so yeah, winning time. This is one of the most unexpectedly weird and surprising shows I've ever seen. Um, for those who haven't heard of it, it follows Magic Johnson's rookie year with the Lakers when they won the NBA championship in 1979-1980. But because it's created by Adam McKay, who I mean, I assume everyone is familiar with. I think. If you haven't seen Step Brothers, you're just denying yourselves one of the greatest pleasures of all time. But he's obviously very well known for The Big Short and Veep, or not Veep, um, Vice, uh, <laughs> uh, the movie about uh, Cheney. And he's moved into more serious fare, but also really well known for being the partner of Will Ferrell for a very long time, which we should also talk about because this, actu- this show actually ended their partnership. Um, but altogether, because it's be created by him, this show ends up much more like The Big Short than it is like a 30 for 30 documentary. And what I found very challenging in watching this show is that you, it is, it's, it goes beyond like a made for TV movie or a, like something like Hoosiers that where you're like, yeah, I can see that this is like made for Hollywood. It makes up so much about stuff that's very well known for anyone who's a sports fan that it's as much fiction as it is a retelling of history. And so while the show ends with the Lakers winning the championship over the Dr. J-led 76ers, just like they did in real life in 1980, almost everything about the show, you sort of have to like take with a wink and a nod, sometimes literally, and try to figure out, is this true or is it not? And that goes all the way down to character depictions. So that's that's why I'm sort of like confused by this show, and I will say I liked it, but with some caveats. What was your overall impression of the show, Jody? I really enjoyed the show, but I went in knowing that it was mostly fiction. <laughs> so it tempered my expectations a lot. I, I think if I had gone in believing it was sort of a... Um, a a documentary, you know, maybe a mockumentary type of thing, then I might have had a, a different opinion of it. But um, hearing, you know, Jerry West's uh, being upset about about the show, about uh, Jack McKinnon, McKinney's wife and family being upset about the show and how they were depicted, I, I kind of went in understanding what I was getting into. And, and you're right about them changing things and 
you know, like I, I, I legitimately expected that the NBA Finals was going to be the Lakers versus the Celtics. Yeah, me too. Though, me too. <laughs> even though in real life it was it was the Lakers and Sixers. So that's how much they changed stuff. Where it, it, it would not have been outside the realm of possibility for them to just completely rewrite, like written, documented history. And I think if you can accept that, I agree. It's an incredibly enjoyable show. But I, I almost feel like it would probably be more enjoyable for non-sports fans, non-basketball fans, than it is for someone like me who wants, like, so some of the things, let's just talk about some of the things that are just kind of like completely over the top. The most the most notable one is Jerry, the Jerry West situation. If you haven't heard about this, Jerry West is actually suing the NBA, or suing HBO over his depiction in the show. He's played by Jason Clark, who does a really good job, but he's this like completely over the top, like person who just screams all the time, who um, didn't want to draft magic, which is apparently very not true, uh, has problems with alcoholism, also not true, um, and he just, like goes way over the top. Then there's like the Larry Bird thing where like we couldn't just make Larry Bird Magic's nemesis. We had to make him like a complete redneck yokel racist, like not even like hiding that stuff, which is I, I've read a lot about Larry Bird and like he's a he's a country boy. I have not I've not ever read. He's like overtly racist um, in the way that they depict him in this show as if he's like. Or- or as angry as or is they depicted him. As angry. I mean, he, definitely, he definitely was a trash talker. Yeah. But, but he was not like an angry person, you know? No, and I think he and Magic had a healthy rivalry rather than where like in this, it's like you almost think he's like going to murder him, you know, like it's, it, it's just sort of strange. So, I mean, there are, th- there are things like that. And I that is what I struggled with is then, you know, one of the biggest plot points late in the show is that it takes so is this Spencer Hayward situation who was a forward for the Lakers at the time and what happens is because the show had taken so many liberties and I didn't know this part of NBA history it was it, it ended up being one of those things it's almost like the boy who cried wolf where you don't actually know if then what you're seeing did happen or not and you're questioning everything but what seemed to be the most outlandish Plotline in the entire story, which is the forward Spencer Haywood, who's played by Wood Harris, who's Avon from The Wire, put he puts a hit on his new coach when he gets cut from the Lakers for having a cocaine addiction, which is actually true. And so the that most out true, yep. right, the most outlandish thing I was like, oh, this can't be true. And then it was like, holy fuck, it actually is. What is and so like that's the one thing I didn't like about this is there was such a blurring of fact and fiction that it became hard as a viewer to know what to believe. And I think if you if you just view it strictly as like a TV, made-for-TV drama and you're just immersed in the storyline, I think it's much more enjoyable than if you're like me, where you were hoping that it would cling to some, some semblance of history. Well, it's, this is not really a basketball show. Yeah, that's no, fair. It's, it's not really a basketball show. So if you're a basketball fan, if you're a fan of basketball in the 80s, this... You, you might be disappointed in this show because there's not really a lot of basketball that happens in this show. Um, and then things like when, when you said Jerry West, how he was depicted, the thing that would get me the most pissed off if I was Jerry West is them depicting him as not wanting to draft 
Magic exactly. Johnson. Jerry West is probably the best scout, the best yep. personnel person in the history of the NBA. And he and he would say no to Magic Johnson? There's no way in hell. I'd be pissed off about that. If, if I, I, I agree. West. And it was also, that was one of the things, I never understand this. Like I'm reading House of Gucci, the book, and have seen the movie. And there's so many times when you take a like real life thing and you fictionalize it where I'm like, but why did you change that? The the, the way you changed it to the fictionalized storyline is actually not as interesting. Or in the case of them not drafting, um, Jerry West not wanting to draft Magic, it was just completely unnecessary. And it wasted so much time in the show too. Like it that ended up being like almost the whole first or second episode. And it was just like, it, I, I, you don't need this. We don't need this like fake tension. There's so many other like barriers and challenges that Magic faced over the course of his career. This idea that one person didn't want to draft him is kind of crazy. And the same thing as a Washington football fan, it was very weird to see at the beginning of the show, Jack Kent Cook also depicted as an out and out racist where we have the worst owner in pro sports right now, don't get me wrong, who is a racist and a misogynist and sexist and just a terrible human being. But everything I've ever heard about Jack Kent Cook was like, he was the opposite of that. He might yell and scream, but he was actually very good to everyone he worked with. And so it's like those things, it's like, well, why did we need to make those changes? Like that, that storyline was just superfluous and really like, it didn't go anywhere. All right. What about the depiction of Paul Westhead as an incompetent? Because in real life, he was not an incompetent coach. At all. In real life, he, he was already a coach. He had been coaching at, uh, I think, LaSalle for yep. four years prior to that. And he went on to coach Loyola Marymount when they had Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball and they were running up like 140 points yep. a game. He was a competent coach, but they they made him seem like a bumbling idiot who didn't know anything about basketball. And also so much more innovative. He wasn't just riding in the way that, so first off, I think Jason Siegel, I, I love Jason Siegel, and it was really nice to see him in this role. And he is basically the, you know, sitting at the, uh, uh, you know, like, the pupil of Jack McKinney, who's played by Tracy Letts, who is the original coach that uh, the Lakers hired to coach the team this year. But like in real, in, in the way it's depicted is Westhead is just fawning over Jack McKinney and has no like guts or ability to do anything on his own. And to your point, that's just not how it is. That's just not how it was. And it was again, unnecessary. I think it would have been much more interesting to show Westhead as the strong coach that he was with really innovative ideas and it wasn't just him stealing Jack McKinney's ideas, right? Like Westhead can, like say what you will, his teams did not play defense and like, <laughs> you know, they struggled at some point, almost like Mike D'Antoni's teams, but they, uh, they were like crazy innovative offensively. It, it's funny that you brought up uh, 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 Mike D'Antoni because I wrote in my notes as I was watching is that the implementate the implementation of the offense uh, with Jack McKinney reminded me of an interview I heard with Mike D'Antoni where he was uh, talking about when he first got to Phoenix and he was trying to implement his seven seconds or less offense, spreading the floor, you know, incredible pace, all of that, and how everybody was telling him this is not going to work. This is yep. not going to work. You know, and how he had to just stay the course and believe in himself. And he was he was questioning, hey, am I, am I doing the right thing? You know, all of that type of stuff. It, it really reminded me of, uh, you know, the, 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 the scenes in this show reminded me of that. Yeah, agreed. And then to, since we're on the coaches thing, I also 
Like, I love Adrian Brody as an actor and thought he did a really good job in this role, but you just can't tell me that Pat Riley was ever this, he plays Pat Riley, and I feel like, even if you know nothing about basketball, you know Pat Riley, and I can't, I just can't envision Pat Riley ever as this meek, insecure, like, sort of, mumbling down on his luck guy that he is depicted in here as Brody depicts him at least at the beginning of the series like he's he's a badass and takes like like he led the Lakers he's led the heat he's known for just being like unrepentantly like very confident in his own opinions and it, it just sort of that didn't that didn't jive with me in terms of reality and again it's like well, why did we make that choice in depicting him that way? See, I, I didn't find that to be the case with with Pat Riley's character. I've, I found him to be not lacking in confidence, not lacking in assertiveness, just lacking in direction. Like he was, he's a retired NBA player, and he's looking for the next thing. You know, what am I, what am I going to be doing next? And he thought it would be away from basketball. But he's clearly still drawn to basketball, but he's not sure in what capacity. So to me, it's more of a direction thing than a lack of assertiveness or a lack of confidence, you know? I guess that's fair, but the scenes with him and Chuck Hearns, who's the Lakers play-by-play announcer, where, like, Hearn is, like, telling him when he can and cannot talk, I'm like, you can't tell me Pat Riley would have ever taken that amount of shit from anyone. That is, that is just not Pat Riley. Yeah, they, they show Chick Hearns like a real asshole. Yeah, <laughs> and it, the, the funny thing is I've never heard that about Chick Hearns seemingly was loved. So, again, it's like, yeah, why did we make this choice? Now, one thing I, I wanted to say, uh, like, I do think overall the actor, the casting in the show is just amazing, right? It's and incredible. Like, just the bench of people to use, you know, the perfect basketball metaphor is incredible. Like. So I think John C. Riley was great playing Jerry Buss as, as the Excellent. owner of um, the Lakers and like really like just lived that part. And it's interesting because the whole Adam McKay, Will Ferrell breakup was predicated on the fact that Will Ferrell wanted to play Jerry Buss. I love Will Ferrell. I can't imagine him playing this role. I think it would have been too cartoonish. Like it would have been too funny. Whereas John C. Riley was so good in this and that he was like lecherous and disgusting and you believed it like the scene that I can't get over is when he makes a move on his when his mom is dying on her nurse yes and like yes I wanted to ask you about that the mom is by the way the mom is played by Sally Field that is the level of casting we we were talking about it here but that to me even more than the fact that he has a binder full of every 20 year old that he's hooked up with, which is actually a true thing. Again, it's like, you may think watching this, oh, that can't be true, that's over the top, but it is actually true. Like that, but that scene was so gross to me, I couldn't watch it. Like I had to turn away and I was like, I don't care what else this guy does, I I can't root for him. There's no part of me after this that is like, you know, I feel any empathy for him. It was just gross. So that's what I wanted to ask you about. What did you think was the purpose of that scene? Because the nurse is really only in the show for that, for that yep. scene. Yep. I, and it's just to show that Bus is a grimy, grimy individual. And and so like I'm think I'm thinking at this point in the show, why why are we showing that? Yeah. You know, because we we've he's been portrayed as a womanizer. He's been portrayed as, you know, I don't know if you would say misogynist, but but definitely he's um, 
he's a uh, I don't know. He he likes to have sex with many different women. Many different women. Yes. <laughs> but, but um, also does not like to button his shirts. Right, right. <laughs> As was the um, the style in the seventies. I I guess. I mean, I I wish I had the confidence to just walk around with that big of a paunch and completely like chest open to the open to the world. But yeah, as you were saying. But but at but at that point in the show, it seems like his character was already established. Agreed. So then it was weird to me for them to put that scene at that Agreed. moment in the show. So what, what do you why do you think they put it there? I guess it's because we want they the only thing I can think of is like they want us to really dislike him and maybe feel like you know they're like it, it, I don't know. It was so heavy-handed that in a show that is super heavy-handed to begin with, when like we already have him like doing the Laker girls and you know like trying to make everything sexy and like with a different twenty-year-old in every scene, and I don't know, but it it did it 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 was effective for me to just be like I can't root for this guy anymore, and I don't really love it anytime he's on screen. Right. I, I kind of initially thought it was to drive a wedge between him and his daughter, Jeannie Bus. Yeah. But but the wedge that may have been driven lasted like maybe five minutes of screen time. Well, but <laughs> and they were and they were cool again. But yes, but also the wedge is much more effectively driven at the end of the show where he chooses to elevate his sons over right. her despite her right. working in the Lakers and to me that's a more def- effective depiction of his character than like him putting like motor <laughs> fucking motorboating the nurse you know like god it was just way too much yeah yeah that, uh, that scene I, I'm, I'm still confused as to why they put that scene in there I mean it yeah, they, they, that really made him because because it, 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 it seemed like they were trying to make him the fun playboy type. yeah but that scene made him just a creepy, grimy old dude. You yeah, know what and, I mean? and, and, and maybe it completely that's changed his image. Maybe that it's just trying to get us to realize that, like, if there are any men watching the show, being like, "Oh, wow, look at this guy. He's basically Hugh Hefner light, and what a great lifestyle." It's like, no, this has consequences and is gross. Um, I don't know, but I will say I loved Quincy Isaiah as Magic. I actually thought he was the best part of the show. Uh, I thought Solomon Hughes was uh, really effective as Kareem too. And I think the dynamic between them was uh, something that really drew me to the show. And just Quincy Isaiah, the way like, there were times where I'm watching this, I was watching the show and I just forgot he wasn't Magic. Just the way like he smiles in such a way, like Magic's smile is so iconic. And Quincy Isaiah really did that. And say what you will, this was one of like, I agree there wasn't a ton of basketball, which I think is good for most sports <laughs> related content to minimize the sports because it's very hard to depict it believably. But I thought they did a pretty good job. And he even like, I don't know if it's like CGI or whatever, but like the way Magic moved on the court, he he embodied that for a lot of this, the way he passed and like the like, Iconic, like through the legs and the and uh, like one hand in passing. I thought that was very believable, and I really, really liked it. And even like Solomon Hughes as Kareem, that was a believable skyhook as well. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, the basketball. I mean, it's no blue chips, but <laughs> no, was, no. Um, what could but, be? <laughs> all right, blue, blue chips was the best basketball movie ever, but um, 
but yeah, it, they, they didn't do it. They, they did pretty good with the with the basketball part. In terms of the casting, I thought everyone was perfectly cast except for Dr. J. I oh, agree. No idea why they chose that old old, old man. Yes, nothing like Dr. J. Everyone else, at least in some way, resembled the character, the person that they were they were uh, trying to to portray. In some way, they resembled it. You could see it. I, the, the, that Dr. J character was like, who is this person? He was, why, why? He was short and squat, and Dr. J is like iconically tall and lean and nimble, and like they look nothing, nothing alike. And nothing everyone, alike. Do, nothing alike. Dr. J is also notoriously one of the like coolest, nicest guys in the NBA, in NBA history, and like, he seems sort of like standoffish at certain points and surly in this. Yeah, that was one of the weird castings. I, I mean, I think there are a few things about it. Bill Simmons went on about how they didn't uh, focus on some of the players that were actually good on the Lakers uh, that actually played more than Spencer Haywood or something like that. So I think there are also elements of that. Or like there was no Maurice Cheeks, uh, Mo Cheeks uh, in, really in the finals. Um, yeah, they, they showed the back of his jersey a few times. Right, which was it. Um, but one thing I I thought, again, to this whole, did we need this and why are we fictionalizing this, was at the end of the championship, they're supposed to award Kareem the finals MVP, and then David Stern, who was manipulative in real life, but I, he has a side conversation with Magic where he's like, Magic, we'd like you to have the MVP and... Are you okay with taking it instead of cream? That never happened. And also, again, was like not necessary. Why do we need this fake drama and fake tension between Kareem and Magic after we spent the whole season of them bonding? Again, it was just such a curious choice. The stuff they chose to fictionalize, I was just like, but why? I, I figured they did that to show that David Stern was sort of a visionary, like he had a plan for Magic and Larry Bird, which, you know, plays out in real life through the 80s where Magic and Larry Bird elevate the NBA to unprecedented levels. So like, for instance, the games that were happening in this show, most of them were not on live TV. They, they were tape delayed and show yeah. later because basketball really wasn't that popular. Yeah, exactly. So like, that, that, like that interview, first of all, interviews with assistant coaches don't happen now, but there was an interview with Pat Riley, right. an assistant coach of the Lakers, on on TV on the news like no one ever does no. that and especially no. not back then because no. basketball wasn't that popular no you know so I grew up with I, I, I grew up with like George Michael where the the only sports report you could get was like right. the four minute segment on the local news right right yeah so yeah I assume that they they put that scene in to show that David Stern had a vision for Magic Johnson and Larry Bird to kind of pit them against each other to elevate the sport, you know, elevate the league. That that was my assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe to show like Magic's untamed ambition. What did you what did you take of what is like I think very true and very true to life as we all know is Magic's womanizing in the show. Like, you know, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs, but he does every woman in LA. Yeah, well, it seems like they got that part right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Magic was known to, you know, uh, partake. So, um, but it's yeah, funny. I, it's I mean, funny. It, I, I didn't find it as a, a, as objectionable as Jerry 
bosses in the show. Well, well, they never really showed it though. You you just always saw him in you saw him after you saw him in the bed with you know three well, naked women. There was the was scene. It. There was the scene where they were talking about Magic being such a giver on the court and having all the assist, and then showing his predilection for doing certain sexual acts in the bedroom with women as a giver as well. So there was oh, right. that. Yeah, they did have that scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, for, but for the most part, they didn't really show like the scene when Cookie came to yeah. his hotel room. You know, and and then the friend comes out the bathroom after she leaves. It's like, well, we know what happened, but they didn't show anything. Yeah. You know. Now I believe so I Magic was upset because the in the show they depicted him impregnating Cookie, who's his like, who he ends up marrying, and is his longtime like girlfriend. He ends up impregnating her best friend on the show. I believe that's all fictionalized. Yeah, that's that's fiction. Um, but but this is something that I noticed about this show that I have never seen before in TV or film. So the character in real life is a lighter skinned person than the character on TV, in the show. I've never seen that. They always seem to take a darker skinned woman in real life and have her played by a lighter skinned woman. And I have never seen the reverse. So I was very taken aback by that, (laughs) you know, pleasantly. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And obviously, one is a white person that I probably wasn't nearly as aware of as you. Um, that's that's really interesting. Um, it was only with her, right? Yeah, that was the only one that that I noticed. I think everybody else was pretty much color matched. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in, I think one of the coolest casting decisions was Norm Nixon, who's the point guard of the Lakers when Magic arrives. Even though Magic plays point guard, is actually on the show is played by his son. Which was right, very cool. Right. And he yeah, was really yeah. good. Yeah, I found that because I, I looked it up because I was like, wow, this guy looks a lot like Norm Nixon. <laughs> like, they really did a good job with casting, you know. And then I, I, I Googled it. I was like, oh, it's his son. No wonder. All right, that makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah, I would say I would recommend this show. But you just you have to go into it viewing it as entertainment rather than you know, history. But one thing I do think is so like probably unintentionally historically accurate is the fact that like watching this, you're like the Lakers are the most incompetently run franchise you can imagine. And that's still true till today. Like, I don't know if you were reading about them this week, but like Jeannie Buss has Phil Jackson (laughs) leading, (laughs) leading like coaching search. Yep. And talking about trading LeBron and keeping Westbrook. And you're just like, this is why family sh- sh- like nepotism and family run organizations just don't work. And, you know, even to you hear that the Lakers even now are one of the teams that like you would think would be extremely like cash flush, but they're not that like they never seem to have a ton of money. And like they're actually like not as lucrative as, as one might think. So it's just sort of fascinating that, you know, they came from that on this show as well, where they're just they don't have the money. He didn't actually have the money to buy the team and just sort of like duped people into it. And yet they're historically the most successful NBA franchise. Yep. So yep. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> go, go figure. Well, anything else you want to say about this show? I mean, I think it's worth watching, like I said, but got to take it with well, a grain of salt. Well, the last thing I would uh, point out is the theme song. Yes. Which is an I think an, is an interesting choice. Like I actually I knew this song before hearing it. It's in like a few of my playlists, but it is a very militant song. 
Yeah. Like the 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 next so they they play the first verse of that song, which is a black thought verse, which in and of itself is is kind of militant. But the next verse starts off with death to the pigs is my basic statement. <laughs> that's that's the kind of song this is, and that's what they chose as the the theme song for the show, which I thought was an interesting choice, and I'm still wondering why that, you well, know, why that song. <laughs> that's a th- that's a really good point because I feel like they touch they get close to some of the black activism and the racism in the league like michael chiklis plays red auerbach and there's definitely some racist elements there in the way he views lakers but also like they don't go the full way and that's what's curious to me it's like either are we committing to this or are we not and if not why not um and then there's like the whole weird like over the top way this is filmed and like you know, it it's supposed to look at some points like I think like like a '70s film, like they or, or it's very deliberately so. Yeah, but then I there's like, like that a lot. You, I, I actually I did except for when they like did the cartoon thing in one of the early episodes that almost like was like Schoolhouse Rockish, and I was like, fuck no, don't do this. <laughs> I like all of that. I, okay, because it was like they were switching between eight millimeter and sixteen yeah. millimeter, and you know, I, I liked all of that. I liked the cartoon. I liked that they were breaking the fourth wall. I, I liked all of that, you know. I, I like when they, I like when directors play around with the film genre. Like it doesn't have to be all that serious, you know what I mean? I, and I felt like they weren't taking themselves seriously, even as they were trying to be artistic. I get that, but I, 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 it annoyed me that the only person that really broke the fourth wall was Jerry, the Jerry Bus character, and I, it happened too much. It was too much Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell. That it, I just was like, at some point, it was like, I think it would have been much more interesting if we had Kareem do it or um, somebody else rather than just Jerry all the time. I, I honestly just think there was too much Jerry in the show, period, even though I thought John C. Riley did a great job. Well, with on that note, um, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this. Uh, the show steadily gained in popularity over its run, so I wonder what type of shelf life it'll have, but it's coming back for a second season if HBO doesn't get sued out of existence by Jerry West. So, um, yeah, maybe we can uh, talk about the second season at some point. But thanks for joining me. No problem. I have fun once again. Okay, good. Me too. And this is maybe, the, maybe one time you'll do an anime with me. I, I, I need to watch it. I really do. <laughs> um, but this has been another episode of the Insatiable Content Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Rossmeyer. Until next time. Bye.